Pubcast. Ellis Island became the place where the immigrants went for processing and the Statue of Liberty went up. But at the time that the ghost in her takes place, the Statue of Liberty, parts of it were on Ellis Island, like a hand and a head. They hadn't assembled it yet. And people actually got dropped off at Battery Park. Welcome to the Liberated Healer podcast, where we touch on a variety of topics in the world of spirituality, energetic healing, and everything in between and beyond. Take an adventure on a shooting star with your host, Jeanette, offering their wisdom, guidance, and everlasting love and support. This is Gina Cavalier. This is Liberated Healer Podcast. Today we have author, uh, award-winning author, uh, Anika Savoy. Han, how are you doing? Hi. I'm doing great. How are you, Gina? Oh, wonderful. And I, I mean, I wanted to show this right here that I have right here. Beautiful. A wonderful book. And Beautiful. it's about my, one of my favorite topics, ghosts. There's, there's a lot of ghosts in here. And so welcome. You've had an interesting journey. Can you give everybody a little context about who you are and what led you into becoming this novelist? Yeah. I guess first and foremost, I'm a spiritual entity and I don't really know who I am. <laughs> but if you want me to pare it down, let me think. Uh, I have always loved to write. And I went to McGill University in Montreal, which was fabulous. I studied English literature. I always knew I either wanted to be a writer or a lawyer. Became both. I've always written fiction and I have many dusty old manuscripts that I just never even sent to agents or publishers sitting in my closet. But I decided to go to law school when I was 29 years old and my kids were in elementary school. And uh, after that, I practiced law for 20 years. I always wrote on the side, but it wasn't until I wrote A True Crime and it came out in 2018 about a serial killer I got to know. Uh, and he confessed all his crimes to me. Uh, so that book did quite well. His Garden Conversations with a Serial Killer. I wrote that under my real name, Ann A. Howard. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had some TV shows and whatnot about it. And then... Uh, after that, I wrote this paranormal historical romance under a pen name, Annika Savoy. And I also recently came out with another nonfiction under Anne K. Howard. It's <laughs> called Escape from Mariupol, A Survivor's True Story. And it's about a Ukrainian refugee who escaped Mariupol at the height of the Russian invasion. She was underground for five weeks with her dog. So that book is doing quite well for sales as well. I'm really yeah. pleased about it. Uh, absolutely congratulations thank you writing prose like this is not easy um mm-hmm. it's it really takes just a great filing cabinet in the mind to yeah. be able to hold on to spaces and not leave holes and yeah know. uh so i am very interested in how was your process in structuring some of your your writing oh my goodness that is such a great question i don't think anyone's ever asked me that are you a writer yes i can tell you i can tell you're a writer because that question wouldn't come from a non-writer <laughs> um so structuring one book i read how how to write for story uh get the name of the author but it's how to write a good nonfiction. 
but I apply his rule to writing both both nonfiction and fiction, which is you start with a character. So you've got to know your main character inside and out better than you know yourself kind of thing. That's not to say they won't take you by surprise and they should take you by surprise. Sometimes saying things or doing things and then you think, oh, well, it's maybe an entity, not just uh, something I created. This is a real living character. So once you get that character, then you present an obstacle. What's the obstacle that this person is up against? And the rest of the plot unfolds in terms of how does the obstacle uh, resolve? And in the end, if it's not a happy ending, it should be an ending uh, in which the character somehow changed through that obstacle and either grew or in some rare cases became an anti-hero and devolved. But that's the basic arc, I think, of every, probably about 99% of all stories is character, obstacle, resolution. Yes, definitely. Adding to what I said, like there's the arc and then you get all these different subsets. Like you bring in different characters and they can either support the character or be a villain who makes the obstacle even harder. And and then you can bring in little subplots. But the the interesting thing about subplots is they can be very dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're writing a somewhat more formulaic genre, like historical paranormal romance you have to be careful not to get too distracted into that subplot because the reader can only care about so many stories at one time they really want to focus in on that main story yeah that's definitely good advice because Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people when they and the reason why i ask this is everybody has a story in them i mean everybody Mm -hmm. likes to write a a little bit for the most part that i've Mm met they they just like Mm -hmm. the directions and different kind of ways Mm -hmm. so there's always a story in somewhere but Definitely a lot of people have sometimes start off and they're just wait. And I've, I'm, I absolutely did this too. Just so many, way too many characters and people. Right. Yeah. I, I cut out like about 70 pages out of the ghost in her. And in fact, I included some of the excerpts on my website that didn't make the cut. Yeah. Um, And I did that just kind of, if someone was really into the book, then they might be interested in seeing the excerpts I cut out. Because what I was doing in those excerpts was uh, doing a lot of character exploration. So it wasn't wasted effort. Like I was talking about Gershom, the hero's uh, childhood. And so I didn't include it because it just didn't help to keep the story moving. But it was good for me to write those pages regardless because it helped me form his, his character in my mind. I felt like I knew what he went through in childhood. and. And it just helped to flesh out the story more, but it was for my benefit, not for the readers. So does you as the one that talked about having a different pen name, I'm very curious why somebody chooses mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Isn't it harder to market two different names or? I have a few reasons for it. It made a lot of sense because uh, my two genres of writing are so diametrically opposed. I mean, I- Even my narrative voice in my fiction, especially because I'm writing about a story that takes place in 1888, it it contains more uh, old-fashioned language. And and, uh, I did a lot of research on Irish 
street slangs and uh, just slangs at that time used in the Bowery of New York City, things like that. For example, uh, I'm really into fashion in this story. So I love to research what was she wearing, what were the materials and designs. I'm not like that in my nonfiction writing. It's much more bare bones, uh, almost like journalistic, minimalist. Uh, and 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 so because those genres are so different, I don't want people saying, oh, Anne K. Howard, I loved her book about the serial killer and the refugee from Mariupol. I guess I'll get this book. And they'd be like disappointed, like that's not what I... So I wanted to, and I know a lot of writers, of course, do it. People like Anne Rule had several pen names. So, and, and the other reason is, I guess I think the writing that is under the name of Annika Savoy is so much more fun for me to write. So the Anne K. Howard nonfiction writing is very kind of serious. That's, that's my serious, I put on my lawyer hat, you know? Well, that's kind of cool because do you, when you write, and I, I hear this from a lot of writers, do you feel that you're kind of co-creating with something outside of yourself? Um, do. And yeah. That might be a good na- reason for this name, too, because this is very romantic. Um, mm-hmm. I love this time frame as well. I'm a huge, mm-hmm. like, I feel very drawn to this, this time frame. And Me too, I, yeah. And I love, like, reading a lot of the description that you had in there because it was just so juicy. Yeah. 1888. So can you get into just a little bit about the ghosts in her? Why, you know, the storyline a little bit about New York City? Then, okay. I'll, I'll, I'm going to try something different here because I keep telling the synopsis to people and it gets really dull. So I'll take a Twilight Zone approach. Okay. Okay. So picture, if you will, a world. Full of ghosts in New York City. The year is 1888, the Gilded Age. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to leave that alone now. That's kind of irritating. But Maggie O'Connor is a 19-year-old Irish seamstress living in the Bowery District in 1888, which is a super dangerous proposition, especially for a young, attractive woman. There were a lot of brothels, prostitution, just the Bowery was a filthy, uh, criminal place. It was the melting pot of New York City. That's where all the immigrants got off the boat and and came and lived in the tenements. But life was really hard back then in the Bowery. And it was especially hard for her because uh, she loses her sister and has to take care of her sister's baby. And uh, she lives literally in a hole. <laughs> she lives beneath a tenement building in this little uh, squalid, damp crawl space. So, of course, in the winter, it's like freezing cold. And uh, she's just trying to survive. She's an underdog. And uh, she ends up meeting a Jewish man who is studying to be an architect and falling in love with him. And uh, unfortunately, though, because she has these psychic gifts, she is mislabeled as mentally ill and she's kind of gaslitted or is that a verb gaslitted she the, uh, her neighbor gaslights her and uh tells everyone that she's crazy and uh she ends up going to the blackwells uh lunat the new york city lunatic asylum on blackwells island in new york city which at that time okay. 
it, it was a horrible place. And yeah. I, I read a lot about it. One great book, it was called Isle of the Damned about, about Blackwell's Island. I also read Nellie Bly's, uh, account 10 Days in a Madhouse. And she was a journalist, Nellie Bly at the turn of the century who actually went undercover. I don't know if you're familiar with her story. No. There's a great drunk history episode about it that you really need to watch. So Nellie pretended that she was insane, and but she was actually a news reporter. And she spends 10 days in this madhouse and she documents everything that happened. And of course, people didn't know about this because Blackwell's Island was like where people were banished. So the public didn't know what was going on in that madhouse and which it was called at the time. And so she saw such horrors, uh, cruelty against mm. the women, the beatings, the cold baths, the over-medicating on laud laudanum and morphine and whatnot. And she got out of the asylum and reported about it. And about 10 years later, the asylum actually shut down in large part because of her expose. So that's, I, I did a, a lot of research for this book about the Bowery District, about the Jewish uh, population at that time, um, and, and also uh, about the lunatic asylum. And uh, you'll just have to read. Your readers will, listeners will have to see if she gets out of that madhouse. <laughs> Interesting because my family, in my mom, on my mom's side, integrated from Ireland around 1890. Mine too. My my father's parents both immigrated from Ireland and moved to Boston in the in the uh, yeah about nineteen ten. Yeah, and they always they they came in from Ellis Isle, so they always kind of a lot of east. They stayed in the East Coast, and my family landed in New Jersey. But mm -hmm. uh, definitely uh, a lot of the same type of hard life Irish yeah. people. They came in and all that. Yeah. Stuff. So. That that's what uh if you read one of the excerpts I cut out of the book on my website, it talks about Gershom's arrival to New York City with his father from Russia. They were Russian Jewish immigrants, and um, Ellis Island was not the place where the immigrants came in the eighteen seventies. I think I I forget the date that uh, Ellis Island became the place where the immigrants went processing and the Statue of Liberty went up. But at the time that the ghost in her takes place, the Statue of Liberty, parts of it were on Ellis Island, like a hand and a head. They hadn't assembled it yet. And people actually got dropped off at Battery Park. Mm -hmm. And that's why the, the Bowery, if you visit New York City and you go to Battery Park, it's in the Bowery. And so just up the road is where all the tenements were. So it's kind of natural that these poor, impoverished immigrants would get off and then just find an apartment right there in that neighborhood. How did you get yeah. so interested in ghosts? Was that oh, just, um, did you have a personal experience? I I have never had. Well, yes, I have. We had a actually we had a a house that was pre Civil War that was our first starter house in Ohio. And it, it was beautiful. It had like those pocket doors with all the beautiful ornamentation and whatnot. And that is when uh, my little, my daughter at the time was just a little toddler and she would be babbling in her 
crib in the next room all the time telling me, mommy, I'm talking to people in my room. I see people in my room. And she, I I don't know. There was some energy in that house that, that made me wonder. And I don't want to creep you out, but one time I woke up from a deep sleep and I felt a hand on my ankle, squeezing my ankle, and then like a bright flash of light. And this is almost funny, but my husband, when he would snore, I would kick him out of the bed and make him go to my son's room and he had to pull out high to bed. So Chris would sleep in our son's room. And one morning, Tiffin said to me, I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a lady crawling into bed with dad. (laughs) Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, and I don't think that was a ghost. But really, if you knew my husband, it was a ghost. It was a ghost. It was a ghost. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Have you had any? Yes, uh, very much. And I, I also wrote a script about ghosts uh, that I like very much. But for me, I, I realized that they they do get stuck in old in places more more often. So like the, the that's why they go to the when they the TV shows they go to the asylum asylum mm-hmm. they go to the abandoned because uh, or where they have the civil war and things like that. Mm-hmm. They really do kind of converge there they and they like to stay there. They don't want to be so reminded of all the light and the life that is gone and things like that from like Yes. They're so unable like, to. You don't see them hanging out in very bright, lighted, super happy places. They're usually yeah. here because something was traumatic or. Right. And. Yeah. Uh I believe that to be true, actually, that in it, well, in my, in my book, I kind of just kind of designed this little ghost hierarchy where there are the lost ones Mm -hmm. and these are the lost ones are spirits of people who have not moved into the light. They have not moved into the next realm. And for whatever reason, maybe they're harboring grudges or they're traumatized or they're very attached to this world. So those are the lost ones, and they're kind of gray, murky figures, whereas the ghosts that Maggie interacts with, who are trying gen- genuinely to help her find her sister's baby, they appear to her like you appear to me. And these are people that have returned from that realm, like they're at peace with themselves. They've returned to come back to Earth almost as like spirit guides or angels to help a mortal person in their struggles. That's exactly how I define it. I, mm-hmm. I would call those entities guides. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, because they're, most ghosts seem to tend to just go in a loop or one kind of a programming. Right. In something. But in the other, the other energies are guides to come in momentarily to help you through a particular thing or sometimes to help you in an accident or make sure things right. like that. I've, uh, I've seen and felt those kind of things. And when I was a kid, I know that you have um, some clairvoyant abilities and, mm-hmm. and things like that. That must have helped kind of dreamscape this book a little uh, bit. Yeah, we, oh, I think we all have clairvoyant skills yeah. if, if, as we get more in touch with that other dimension. 
by no means am I psychic or anything like that. But I, I did have a near-death experience when I was 17. And I was hit by a car riding my bike. And I fractured my vertebrae and was oh, wow. bed, bedridden for months. Uh, but I I flipped up over the car and 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 then I flipped back down over the hood. And then I flipped back up and over onto the pavement. So it was a really serious accident. And I was bruised like from neck down and why my head had no trauma is beyond me but uh during that experience i i did definitely leave my body and i kind of entered this timeless realm it's very hard for me to describe because it's something human words really can't describe but there there was no time and it was kind of a static buzzing in a white light and i I felt like I wasn't the 17-year-old young woman from New England. I wasn't in my identity in that moment. I I felt like it was my higher self, maybe, my soul. I don't know. I felt very old and and both kind of male and female. And kind of, if anything, more male. Isn't that weird? But yeah, after that, I mean, I just got had a hunger for anything spiritual. I, I'm not just into the paranormal stuff. I'm, I'm really into Buddhism and um, the autobiography of a yogi, Hinduism, uh, yoga, all of that kind of stuff. I, I just can't get enough of it. I can't either. I mean, that's why I created this whole channel. <laughs> Actually, I mean, a lot of my listeners know this about the story, but during COVID, I was just sleeping in bed. I accidentally took too much CBD because I'm very sensitive. Mm -hmm. And everybody said CBD can't make you high. And this this made me feel high. And I don't know what was wrong with this CBD. (laughs) Um, But everybody said I just took way too much because I was like, you're supposed to just put like two drops and maybe three or four whole vials. So I was kind of feeling interesting and just on my laptop working in the middle of the night, like I always do. And this just light above me opened up and downloaded a liberated healer. And then it was time for me to share my story and it was time for me to open it up. And, and that night I didn't go to bed and I created the logo. I created the website, I created the mission statement all in one night. And it was really just divinely that I wouldn't have picked. I didn't thought of picking that kind of name. Yes. Um, But it's just like what you were saying, though, and mm-hmm. I've had experiences before that. But wow, you just kind of—that's the day I became in service, mm-hmm. in service of. And when you're an in service of, your mm-hmm. life just takes on a whole different kind of purpose. I mean, first, yeah. first for yourself. Yes, you're required to have self love. Mm-hmm. Continue to be in service of the others, and that's what I found was such a, a big interesting thing because it you feel like it should be the other way around but actually mm-hmm. requiring self-love free and i think you were talking about you being a lawyer and you know the stresses and you want to be creative and stuff mm-hmm. like that and how you've made this switch more to permanent writing because that feels i'm sure i mean this is not a small task look at this yeah word it's not i think it's over 300 pages but I'm going to be blatantly honest here, and I'm not doing anything illegal because I have a proper medical marijuana prescription. (laughs) 
But I actually find cannabis helps me a lot to write. Let me say that I never, I never uh, take a little vape during the day. I, if I did, I'd be good for nothing. I'd be in yeah. bed. So in you, because I have chronic pain, I had neck surgery a few years ago, a couple of years ago. And so it really helps with the pain. But what I find at night after supper is if I do a little bit, I just, I have to have a pad by my side and a pencil because I'm just scribbling like uh, so much of the ghost in her was scribbled down when I was a little bit yeah, out there, out there. Yeah. And my mind was free to roam. And it's really like being a little kid playing in the sandbox. You know, it's, it's, it's my favorite thing to do, actually. Well, I'm in California. And so obviously we have the laws that are more supportive of that here. But it's, it really does, I think, for some people, just allow you to relax in the creativity. Yeah. Relax into the creativity. My guys have showed me that all creation is co-created. Mm-hmm. All books, mm-hmm. all anything creative. It's not just even a, a song that someone's writing. It's not just the person holding the guitar, but it's the guitar. Yeah. Also co-creating. There's elements there of energy there. And then there's also energy coming in to help support writing, writing stuff. And I find that just beautiful. So yeah, you know what? I, when I see books like yours, I know it's like, Mm -hmm. Ooh, who, who helped co-create what kind of energy you are. Yeah. Who created that with her? Yeah. And it's a mystery. Damned if I know, but I do think that as energies units, we are all interconnected, right? And we just don't see it because we see our separate bodies. So we think when we go out in public, we're separate from all these people. But in fact, if you take away the illusion of the body, we're all just energy forms interacting. And that works into what you were just saying, that you'll also find at certain times in history, artists, whether they're writers or painters or musicians from different parts of the world, who never had exposure to the other one's music or writing are writing similar messages and stories and things. And why is that happening? I, I, I you know, is there um, a unified mental power that we all partake in? Sort of like a creative Borg. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't You're know talking my so- language right there. And the reason why I love to even think about that and that we're having this discussion is because it does help you to become more compassionate for mm-hmm. when somebody does does you wrong, in, for example, um, that mm-hmm. you understand that it isn't just one thing done to you. It's like it's a bigger picture. We're all having exactly. this um, exactly. this movement on this tapestry that we all have a string in. You know, yeah. It's kind of, yeah. It, it makes me, it reminds me of uh two books first the drama triangle is about how we all engage in this drama triangle uh we're either the victim the bully and what's the other one victim bully what would it be oh with the rescuer the one who rescues and we've all been in those different roles at one time but often we tend to take that one role victim or rescuer um or sometimes a rescuer becomes a rescuer because they were a victim right So in any case, we get so wrapped up in this drama triangle 
but it's it's not real because in fact everybody has their dramas and it's not all about you and that that's why the, another book I'm rereading right now is the power of letting go and that's about you know how do you let go of those angry thoughts and grudges and perceived injustices and actually you just nailed it what you just said is that that basically is how you let go is to realize it's not about you. It's that person brought that energy and it's all sorts of things that happened to them that have nothing to do with you. And yes, maybe something was brought to your attention by them that you need to look into. I'm not saying we're all perfect and other people's interactions don't shouldn't teach us to mm -hmm. change, but often we get so consumed with the drama that yeah, it, it affects our health. Like we get really upset and angry and then we start running these programs in our head of oh i hate him for this i and we start wishing them unwell and yeah it's a very and, and that can really clog creativity too oh yeah and i, I want to just do a shout out to all my irish friendly fans friends and family <laughs> uh in my family man they can hold the grudge Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember writing that in Angela's ashes that he was talking about how all the family members had long term grudges, went on for generations against oh. different family members. Yeah. Love me because literally I have family that I still say, Are you still upset over that? Oh, I will never talk to her again or something. Yeah, I know. You just want to like let them go, but it's just there is something as Irish grudge that. Yeah, it's when you get into that negative pattern of thinking, there's something addictive about it. It is almost like heroin. Not that I've ever done heroin, but it's like, oh, this is making me miserable, but I want to keep thinking of it. Yeah. And you I know? think it's generational, too. I mean, like mm -hmm. you said, that it does go back. Mm -hmm. So you had so you had the ghost of the house. And you've had some kind of uh, visions and. um. Mm -hmm. Was there, I would, is there some kind of prophecy you've come across or your Catholicism or mm, prophecy? No. Let me think about that. Uh, no. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I started reading the Bible again because I, in college, I went through a phase where I was born again Christian mm -hmm. and I read the Bible from cover to cover. And uh, was trying to convert everyone I knew. And as I got into my late 20s and decided to go to law school, I started to see a lot of inconsistencies, hypocrisies. I felt as a woman who wanted to go to law school, a very independent woman, I just started to feel like this Christian system is not working for me anymore. and. And so I kind of thought, well, I, I have to admit I'm a cafeteria Catholic. Like I, I pick and choose what I, what makes me comfortable and discard the rest. Uh, yeah. I was having a discussion the other day with someone uh, about spirituality and everybody has their own version of what speaks to them. And that's exactly what I said is that's what's so great about it is you get to put your all your own pieces 
what resonates with you. How does it make mm-hmm. you feel? Mm-hmm. And it, and take your little pieces and and, yeah. and let go of the other people's pieces because mm-hmm. they're their pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you think that God, or however you want to define God, this universal energy, is in any way offended by your need to do that, you're wrong. I mean, that's what we should be doing is working it out as a as a personal journey. But I will tell you, this isn't prophecy, but this is something that happened to me that was very interesting is when I was in law school and we lived in that Civil War house, I was like in my second year, the hardest year of law school is the second year. The first year is a mind whatever. They they seek to beat you down with the Socratic method. You want to stay in law school? You know, like uh, that old movie, The Paper Chase. It was based on uh, the book 1L by uh, not John Gershom. It was the other guy who was like John Gershom. But anyways, about what you have to go through in law, in, in, in the top law schools, how they, they try to shame you and bully you in the classroom and to try to toughen you up for court. And the second year, you're over it. By then, you're like, ah, oh, to heck with it. They're going to make a fool out of me in class today. I don't even care. And then you really focus on the work and they pile on the work in your second year. So I came home and I had two young kids and my husband traveled all the time and I, and I was full-time student and I went upstairs to my room and I, back then we had videos and I put in a, uh, a yoga video and I was doing the yoga. And at the end of the yoga, I was just lying in that corpse position, just thinking how, Am I going to get through another day? How am I going to do this? And this voice came into my head. It was like back here on the back of my right side. And it was a male voice. And it said very clearly, like I did not, it just came like someone came into the room and said it to me. I have placed you here. I will see you through. Mm. I thought that was, wow, that, that, but but I I felt comfortable like wow I've been placed here there I just wish I knew who placed me here <laughs> who was that who was that oh gosh I don't know but I don't know that is really beautiful maybe a spirit guide I'm I'm reading a great listening on Audible to a great book Four Waves of Volunteers now and that talks a lot about UFO stuff hmm. I mean makes you wonder I don't know. Yep, we're and I don't know this this timing right now. It when this is uh, we're recording this in mid twenty twenty three. I mean, I just sense that things are really evolving really quickly. I agree. Like timelines are changing. Even when I communicate with guides and different things, they're telling me all kinds of interesting stuff. As in. The children that are being born now are being born with more of a memory of their of their past soul journey so mm-hmm. that they can understand how important things are and it, so they can course correct some of the things yeah. that came in earlier generations. And I just I do feel a sense of people seeking and searching for a deeper meaning in all areas. Yeah. You know, I know it is my space, but that I'm in, so maybe that's why. But it, I just see it everywhere. Even the the farthest mm-hmm. corner that you would, you can have just such a a light conversation with 
uh, someone you just ran into in the street mm-hmm. or something like that. And I'm, mm-hmm. there's also the other side where some people are getting more rageful. Um, right. You know, but it feels like it's sort of separating. I wanted to see if you're experiencing that a little bit. Uh, kind of aisle. I, yeah, I completely am. I, in fact, I think about it every day. It's, and I, and I know a lot of great spiritual writers right now are, are talking, exploring this as well. Like Eckhart Tolle wrote the, about the new earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, uh, I do believe I've not received any direct prophecies, but I do believe that we're in preparation for some kind of a new way of being. The, the heavy conflict and the, the suffering and the loneliness, just like in America, all of the suicides, the mass shootings, the darkness is getting darker and heavier and the light is getting fuller and brighter and light always overcomes darkness, but I have no idea at what point it will and how bad it's going to get. Just writing about the war in Ukraine in my other book, I mean, what's going on right over there right now? It's hell. I mean, when they describe places like Bakhmut and, well, I wrote about Mariupol, 25,000 civilians were killed in the early weeks of the war. So there are parts of our earth right now that are almost in this black hole vortex fighting it out. And I, I honestly don't know how this ends, but that with climate change, especially, I think that's a huge part of what's going to happen to humanity in terms of changing our ways. How do we adapt? How do we learn to live together in peace? How do we put an end to war? How, how do we deal with the food shortages, which are going to get so much worse with climate change? So I think climate change is going to be like an accelerator of this new earth process. And that's why I you know, love being, having to be able to have these kind of conversations because I don't think we're talking about this quite enough. And if it is, mm-hmm. it's like watered down or... Just yeah. because they're having to produce it so much that by the time and their sponsors to think about and they're like, well, is that going to offend that sponsor or this one? Yeah. That no, we need to really start talking about this important stuff. Right. To get rid of some of the riffraff and yeah. build your tribe again and sh- mm-hmm. show we're all hey, we're all in the same boat. We're a mm-hmm. tribe. We're all mm-hmm. helping each other, like you said. Yeah, and that's yeah. why I I think reading has become just this like comfort yes well and having such stories like yours the ghost of her again i'll cover i love it (laughs) oh it's so i didn't get through the whole part of uh whole all of it but it was so beautifully written and thank you i i just i'm so amazed that that you can like complete something like this and and i know it's a journey yeah passion yeah I'm I'm on Twitter. I'm sure you are too. And and I have a page for Ann K. Howard and a page for Annika Savoy. And so most of my Twitter followers are are fellow writers or readers, but mostly writers. And and I find often there's Twitter posts of like, what's the hardest thing about writing your book? What uh, how do you get out of writer's block? And it's all about this kind of like. binary like conflict like like writing is so hard it's like working out lifting heavy weights and 
And I just don't find that about writing at all. Like, it's not to say uh, cutting out parts of my book, going through the editing process, trying to rethink a plot line. It's not that it doesn't involve some intellectual energy. It does. But if it's not fun and if you're not in that energy, don't just do us a favor and don't write the book. <laughs> because if, if you're having that experience while you're writing it, yeah. then you're giving that energy in your book and so there no one's going to want to read it. So you have to have like a joy of telling this story and escaping. I, I find it's like, uh, for me, writing at the library every afternoon is like watching a good movie for me. It's, it's a, a, in a very enjoyable escape. Yeah. Uh, do, do you write, when you write, do you kind of see almost the vision or, or do you all? Or I compl- also kind of feel like you're slipping in Maggie's shoes when you're the main character, like you can almost yes. be like you're her? Yeah, I I completely write as if there's a camera in my head. And that that's why actually I I just signed up today to do a a workshop in in screenplay writing. I'm interesting that you wrote, interested that you wrote a script at the New York Film Academy because I want to turn my uh Ukrainian book into a movie script and pitch it. I think it would make a great Absolutely. great Hollywood movie. Yeah. And so I'm addicted to movies. I watch movies every night, whether it's a Netflix series, Amazon. We're in the golden age of film and and TV right now. And there's just so much to choose from. And that's what I do every night. And And it's not a waste of time because I've learned the techniques. And and so when, yes, when I write, when I wrote uh, The Ghost in Her, this was a movie in my head. I saw it as a movie. I saw her walking down the alleyways, the moon shining, the mm-hmm. the carriages going back past, the noises, uh, the ghosts to me were, I'd imagine, mm, what what actors would do that role better? So yeah, I, I definitely think in terms of movie and that's the next step I'd want to do is to get into script writing. So I'm kind of like, yes, I'm in this jam right now because I wrote the first six or seven chapters of the sequel to The Ghost in Her uh, last winter. And then the opportunity to write that book about Ukraine came. So I put it on the back burner, the sequel to The Ghost in Her. And I'm dying to get back to it. Like literally dying. Like I'm in love with this heroine who's not Maggie. It's a different woman. It's Bella, the nurse at the end of the book. And I'm I love this story even more than I love the ghost in her. Yeah. But I can't get you it out. out. It feels like, I know that feeling. It's like, I need to get, I need to get through all this stuff so I can get it out. I know. And, and but the, but the problem is that now I really want to, I, I need to take the script writing workshop and make that screenplay for the other books. So it's like, I have this lost love and I'm pining for, that story but i can't get back to it yet because i just have too much else going on well i just because i know i've been in the business quite a bit i Mm -hmm. feel like if you can write this once you get the screenwriting it's gonna go it's gonna be you can write Uh, so much it's a lot i mean there's really techniques that you have to get down and which it sounds like you're going to but yes you can write Uh, you're just yeah so you're thank you 
Because because what I'd love to do, Gina, is is uh, write a script for the ghost in her and, and pitch it. Because a, a lot of people that. said, I can see this as a series on Netflix. Or I absolutely saw that. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, congratulations on Thank all of you. your writing. Thank you. Your lovely book. And thank you to Desiree and team uh, for connecting with us and supporting writers everywhere. Desiree is, uh, uh, she has Black Show Toe uh, publicity and she's yep. so much for writers. I uh, highly recommend her. And I'll link information on below too. So if people are looking good, for, yeah, help with her. Mm-hmm. But thank you so much. It's been a really delightful pleasure. Talk. Well, great to talk to you okay i would i would just love at any point to talk to you more about your script and what you write oh coming up next okay <laughs> okay you guys is gina right. Cavalier, the liberated healer podcast uh thank you Erin and anika <laughs> uh so nice to meet you good luck thank yeah. you namaste namaste <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode, you can find us online at theliberatedhealer.com, on Instagram at Liberated Healer Podcast, or on Facebook at The Liberated Healer. Give us a follow, subscribe, send us a message if you so feel, and thank you for your support. Podcast.